This is the Get Healthy 360 podcast, where we discuss topics related to your physical, mental, psychological, and spiritual health. Your host is Dr. Chris Ferguson, board certified in anesthesiology and pain management. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and you should consult your primary healthcare provider before making any decisions related to your health. And here's your host, Dr. Chris Ferguson. Oh, one more thing before we start. If you like this episode, please consider rating us five stars. We would really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Welcome to Get Healthy 360. Today, we're talking with Dr. Salas Whalen. She's triple board certified. She's board certified in endocrinology, internal medicine, and obesity. She has a broad experience across all facets of endocrinology with a particular emphasis on obesity, diabetes, and thyroid disorders. She believes that every patient is different and then effective care must be customized to the individual needs. She's also a very strong advocate for prevention rather than treatment, especially in regards to obesity and diabetes. She performs in-office thyroid ultrasound, and also fine needle aspiration biopsy of thyroid nodules. And to be very clear, she also sees um, patients over telehealth, telemedicine. So whether you're in North America, Europe, or really anywhere in the world, you can set up an appointment with her and chat with her over the internet. Um, Dr. Salas Whalen is an active participant in the continuing advancement of her field with a strong proponent of lifelong career learning. So clearly as new studies and breakthroughs come out, She's keeping on top of those. She's also a clinical instructor at NYU Langone Hospital. She also speaks uh, fluent English and Spanish. So this is an interesting time. Just to date this, it's 4-27-2020 in the middle of this COVID epidemic. So we'll also touch on obesity as it puts you at risk for covid and with all of the social distancing things in effect, what are some of the strategies that you can practically use at home? Because a lot of people are stuck. She's based in New York. So a lot of people are stuck in their small apartments. They don't have access to the gyms. How do you manage your weight with these restrictions? So Dr. Salas Whalen, thank you very much for taking the time today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let's get right into the, the details. We're in the middle of the COVID epidemic. Um, what are the risk factors that being overweight or obese puts on someone's health? So uh, talking about COVID, so it's very important to, to there's a, a little bit of a confusion. I, I think it's important to mention that obesity puts somebody at risk for getting severe illness or complications, but not so much as contracting the virus. So any, they have the same risk as a non-obese person to contract the virus is if they contract it, then they have more risk of developing severe complications or ICU admission or even mortality. And the reason that we, we think this, and you have to understand that the pandemic is happening as we're talking right now. So a lot of the data that is still not published, it's everything is being gathered. But so far, what's being seen in the hospitals here in the US is the patients that are being admitted to uh, ICU or that are requiring uh, ventil- vent- artificial ventilators are mostly patients that have obesity. And, and we think that that, that is um, a risk factor because in obesity, we know that there is chronic inflammation happening. Uh, even if they haven't developed comorbidities, even if they haven't developed diabetes, high blood pressure, or, or anything else, it just having uh, obesity, you uh, they're having chronic inflammation. And we know that COVID, what it does to the body is it produces a major inflammatory explosion, right? So 
if somebody already starting with inflammation, they're not going to have the ability to respond to another uh, process, uh, inflammatory process. And that's why they get worsening uh, illness. So you said that obesity increases your inflammation, but for, for those without a medical background and you have a strong background in medicine, I mean, you're, you're board certified in three different specialties. Can you break it down and explain what is inflammation and why is that a problem? So inflammation is when the body is uh, making chronic inflammatory responses, and this can be cytokines, interleukin, prostaglandins. Uh, they're all uh, inflammatory peptides or chemicals. And in a patient with obesity, studies have shown that there is high levels of these inflammatory proteins. So there is high levels of interleukin, uh, cytokines, all of this uh, is happening chronically. Also in diabetics, hyperglycemia cross, uh, causes chronic inflammation for the same com concept. So all of their major chemicals or weapons to protect themselves are already being used chronically because it's an, a normal process, uh, obesity. So you can almost say, say that they're in, immunocompromised for when a virus like this comes that is causing another inflammatory process, all those proteins and chemicals that need to go there and attack it and defend it are, are already being used from the obesity, right? So they don't have the same weapons to protect themselves as a non-obese or, or as a person that doesn't have obesity. They, they're not starting at the same level. They're already starting like all of their anti-inflammatory uh, chemicals that they have, they're already being used, unfortunately. So what are some of the strategies that you would give someone who's trying to lose weight? Because in general, it's, a, it's very difficult to lose weight, but it's compounded by being limited to stay home, gyms are closed, et cetera. So what are some of the general strategies that you would advise someone in this pandemic to cut their weight? So I think, unfortunately, um, the situation that we have is really hard for somebody to do drastic changes, right? I think at the time that people have to be home, we have to start with, with small changes in their lifestyle. Uh, I think even staying in, we can st still make better choices in the food that we eat, in the amount that we eat, to not give in and eating because we're bored, because we're inside, uh, because we're anxious. So even starting with that, you can make some changes in, in your lifestyle and eventually to your weight, right? Even if we're inside, we can do some, and it's recommended that we still do some physical activity, right? So exercise, we know that it can increase your immune system. So even if you're inside, I mean, we, we can, you can get classes online. You can, you can download classes or even on your cable, there's classes. So even doing 30, 40 minutes a day, it's important. And also going outside and walking, right? Like, especially here in New York that we walk so much, I, I tell my patients to, to kind of be smart at the times that they choose to go out. So when there's less people, try to get 20, 30 minutes of some physical activity. Same for people that only appear in New York to go walking around their neighborhood. And I think this is the time that people that have obesity make the decision to do something about it, right? Contact your doctor, contact uh, your primary care, contact an endocrinologist, an obesity specialist. 
So you can start having the discussion even now. We, can, we all are doing telemedicine consults, right? So I think we don't have to wait for this to be over. I think even now people can be seeing obesity specialists via telemedicine to have a discussion about their weight and what can be done, right? Uh, not everything is lifestyle and not, not, it's not only lifestyle. Uh, we know that lifestyle contributes to obesity, but it's not it. So the solution is not just a change in the lifestyle. That's, that's what we were doing always, right? Now we actually have options for patients to help them with weight loss. So there is something that can be done about somebody's weight, even as we're going through a pandemic. It's just the patient or the person needs to make the decision that that's what they want to do, right? So if it's okay with you, we'll touch on a few lifestyle changes, then we'll talk into more of the medical workup and prescription things that you can do. Let's talk about some of the various diets out there and what the pros and cons are of each diet. So a lot of people will try the ketogenic diet or the carnivore diet where they really cut out all of their carbs and they really just eat vegetables and a high degree of meat in their diet. What are your thoughts on that diet? You know, I think any type of diet, when it's so strict, it's, it's it may work only temporary, but in reality, they're very hard to maintain long terms, right? And that's what we saw with Atkins, that's what we saw with the Stone, with all those type of diets that are so restrictive, they cannot be maintained long term. So I, that's why I really don't uh, recommend any modern or new diet uh, to for somebody to do because I, I feel and I've seen that they're hard to maintain and then we can see some complications like I've seen a lot of patients that have done the ketogenic diet and when they come to me their cholesterol is very elevated right the triglycerides the LDL so I feel like it, when somebody wants to do something so restrictive there's always something, a consequence is going to happen in their health. Um, so what I recommend mostly to my patients is clean eating. I think more important between calories or protein, fat, or it's the type of food that somebody's consuming. The less processed food, no ultra processed food, the more natural, the better, the less ingredients, the, the, the uh, no fast food, the more cooking, the everything more back to basic. I feel like that's more easier to maintain because there's no 100% restrictions. And I feel people can have more control. So I always also recommend my patients. I mean, when I see a patient here, I, I try to teach them how to make better choices, even when they go grocery shopping, to read labels, to understand what the label means, to understand the ingredients when they're buying something. Because I feel the more somebody's informed, the better choices they're going to make when buying food, either even ordering in a restaurant, right? So they, they, they can still make better, healthy choices. What would you say are the three worst things that people do when they're either buying food at the grocery store or ordering at a restaurant? So I think the, the food that has a very long shelf life, I think that's, a, that's we should stay away from that. The, the more fresh the food is, the better. So when we buy processed food, ultra processed food, like either cereals or cookies or uh, pastas, it's, it's things that can be on the shelf for months or years, it's, it's not, it's, we should not be buying that um, because that means that it's processed or ultra processed, right? So stick to things that are more fresh. And if you have to buy less more often, so the food won't go bad, 
better than going twice a month and buying food that is going to last you for six months on the shelf. So that's not the right food that we should choose. When we order in, I mean, we can we can make adjustments on how something is prepared. Instead of asking for something fried, we can ask for something broiled or grilled, right? Uh, if we're going to have pasta, then let's not have the bread. If we're going to have uh, the potato, let's not have the dessert. So we can substitute and make choices. I, I think just people need to be more informed on, on how to order and how to buy. And I think it's just going to be as an autom- automatic thing happening. The way you start the day, I think, is a very important thing. What would you, if you could craft the perfect breakfast, what would the perfect breakfast look like? Egg. Avocado. I mean, it could be one to two. Okay. With the yolk, not egg whites. We need fat to be, to have satiety, right? So if there's no fat, then you'll be hungry again in two, three hours, right? So mm-hmm. protein, fat, and then carbs. So one to two eggs, it could have uncured bacon and you can bake it, not fried. And maybe, and if you don't want to have bacon, maybe have half of an avocado, one toast with butter. I mean, sourdough and rye are the ones that have the lowest glycemic index or, or, or the ones that will take longer to get absorbed. But I, I, I mean, if it's going to be three times a week, doesn't matter if, it, if it's white bread, right? I mean, if it's in moderation, I feel like any type of bread. But the most important thing is that you're having your protein in the egg, you're having your fat in the avocado or the, the bacon, and then you're having some carb. Or if you, if in t- instead of toast, then you can have some fruit. The, the best fruit that I recommend to my patients is the berries, blueberry, blackberry, raspberry, and strawberry. The tropical fruits are very high in sugar. Doesn't matter if the sugar or calories is coming from a um, mango or a chocolate, right? It's, it's still going to be calories and it still has sugar. So the best fruits are the tarts, the berries. So instead of having toast, maybe a bowl of berries. Now, some people think that oatmeal is the best, the best breakfast. I, I don't feel it's the best. It's not the worst either. So maybe twice a week you can have oatmeal, right? But it's not optimum. So the key points then are some sort of fat, some sort of healthy carbohydrate and healthy protein. Exactly. What about the perfect lunch? If you had to just pick your perfect lunch for a given day, what would that look like? Again, protein, it could be fish, it could be chicken, it could be pork. Uh, you can have one portion of a carb, either a sweet potato, or even if you're in a, if you can get a sweet potato, a regular potato, and then maybe some salad or again avocado. If you didn't have it in the morning, you can have it at lunch. So you're right? a proponent of the avocados for healthy fats. Definitely, and satiety. I mean, it, it's going to give you satiety, and, and it's and it's a healthy fat, right? And and then water for drinking. I, I really just recommend the best drink that we can have is water. And what about for dinner? So dinner, I think we make the mistake for here in America to having our biggest meal as a dinner. I think breakfast and lunch should be your biggest meal and then dinner should be something small. Because when we go to sleep, we're storing the calories as fat, right? We're not burning anything. Uh, unless some people work out after dinner, but that's not that's not the common thing. Uh, I would say a small dinner. So ver- same versions of what we talk about breakfast and, and lunch, but half of a portion of that, right? 
what happens here is that many times we skip lunch and then we get home and then we're starving for dinner and then we end up having a huge dinner. Then we go to sleep and then we store it as, as fat, right? So I feel like if we have a proper breakfast, if we have a proper lunch, we won't be as hungry for dinner or we'll be, we'll be satisfied with something small. That's interesting. So you want to front load your calories in the top of the day. Exactly. When you're burning your calories and then at night, you're active, you're right? Eating. How do you, what do you think about snacks throughout the course of the day? I, I feel like, I mean, unless you're an athlete and training all day and that's your job, then snacks are needed. But otherwise, I, I feel like our three meals should be enough, right? There was, the, there was this temporary thinking that eating all day helps you burn calories all day. But I, I even feel people have to sometimes overeat just to put a snack. And I don't, I don't think that's, that's the right thing to, to look at it. And a lot of times for snacks, we do some, something that's processed, like bars. And that's, again, we're talking about ultra-processed food. So if we can avoid it, maybe have a, if you want a snack, having some, some fruit, an apple, a tangerine, a piece of cheese, but something more natural. Um, but I, I feel like there's no need of snacking if you're having your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What are your thoughts on intermittent fasting? I think in, in intermittent fasting does work and it's easier, easier for some people to, to do that because some people even skip breakfast without doing the intermittent fasting. But so the studies have shown that it does work. It does help some, some weight loss and some weight loss maintenance. I don't feel like it's it, but it does contribute to some weight loss. And what are your thoughts on protein shakes as a supplement? Some people have recommended those. Some people have not recommended them. I don't recommend them because, again, it's processed, right? It's processed food. It's not real natural food. It's processed food. I mean, if, if there's nothing else you can take because certain jobs and instead of skipping a meal, then it's fine. But unless you're a weightlifter and, again, an athlete training for a triathlon, we don't need extra protein. The protein that we have in our meals is more than enough, right? Uh, and for those that are listening that are athletic, how would you modify your recommendations for them? Well, I, I can't, they, they can have more protein um, in their meals. And, and those people that do like they do one hour of weightlifting, uh, they're trying to build muscle, then having one protein shake after a workout during only workout days, it helps. But it shouldn't be like every day that even when they're not working out, right? And so beyond lifestyle changes that we've just discussed, what are some of the things that you do with your extensive medical background? So we have um, come a long way in the obesity field. We have a weight loss medication that is FDA approved for weight loss, that is FDA approved for chronic use, which is, that, that's, a, that's a big thing because before we used to have medications that could only be used uh, temporary for three months or six, six months max because of the side effects, right? And, and I'm talking about fentanyl or some of the stimulants. But the medications that we have now, they're so much safer and they're uh, indicated for for uh, temporary and chronic use. The, the important thing is that we have to look at obesity as a chronic disease, right? It's not a lifestyle disease, it's a chronic disease. As diabetes, as hypertension, as heart disease. When you think about that, those patients when we treat for diabetes or hypertension or heart disease, 
we don't treat them temporary. We don't treat them until their sugar gets better and then we stop the medication. No, we know they're chronic diseases that we can control, but we cannot cure. We see obesity as the same, as a chronic disease. Um, so treatment for it should be also thought as a, as a chronic treatment, right? I feel like it's, it's so new that it, it may be hard for some people to think of obesity treatment as something chronic. But um, I always, I always want to have that discussion with my patients because I want to leave them and leave that idea in their head so they can process it, right? Medication works excellent. Um, we have different types of medications for obesity that target different things. They can target your metabolism. They can target your appetite. They can target satiety. They can target the, the brain center of appetite. And either independent or in combination, they work, they work wonderful right? And, and weight loss medication is the most underused drug in the United States, unfortunately. It's there, we have it, but many doctors don't know about it. They don't want to have that discussion, they, or they may be afraid of what they don't use as often. But, but the medication is there. We just have to, and that's why it's important always to talk about it, because a lot of people don't know. Can you list some of the some of the medications that are FDA approved for chronic use and weight loss? Yeah. So we have Quisimia, which is a combined medication that has fentermine and topiramate. The fentermine helps your metabolism. It helps you burn more calories. And the topiramate works with your appetite. So you eat a little bit less and you're burning more. That's an oral medication. It's a capsule that you take every day. Now, the fentermine dose is very small, and that's why it was approved for chronic use. So we don't see the side effects that we imagine of fentermine, which is anxiety or jitterness, difficulty sleeping, or feeling like you're running at 100 miles per hour. We don't see that because the doses are so are very small. And, and, and that's basically our only oral medication. There's other ones, Contrave, um, which I don't use much because I don't see good results on it. And you have to take four capsules a day. So I feel like there's a compliance issue. But the ones that I use the most is quisemia, which is an oral. And from there, we go to injectables, subcutaneous inject injectables. Uh, we have Saxenda, which is a daily injection. And then we have um, a cousin, which is Osempic, and that's a once a week injection. These medications, they work the same. They're a GLP-1 analog. And these medications were initially brought to the market for diabetes. We were using them for diabetics, and then we were seeing patients coming back later with weight loss. Then eventually we moved to use it off-label for weight loss, and then eventually the pharmaceuticals came with the weight loss version, which is exactly the same medication. So this medication has been out for, I will say, at least 15 years. And what it does, it slows down, slows down gastric emptying, meaning that when you're eating, you get fuller faster with smaller amounts of food and for longer periods of time. So you will normally eat a full plate with this medication. One third of your plate, you feel full. Then you may not be hungry in lunch, and then you may be a little bit hungry at dinner. But then again, you will only eat a small part of it. Now, the GLP-1 analogs, they also work in your brain. So it takes away that pleasant thinking of food or, or you relating positive feelings to food, right? So full food becomes fuel. You'll still get hungry, but you'll get satisfied faster or with smaller portions. 
and then you won't think of food like, oh, I'm craving this pasta or I can wait for dinner because I'm having this. It, it, it takes away that from, from, from the thinking, right? So I feel like those two medications in combination, you can see about two pounds per weight loss per week. Uh, independently, uh, it's about a pound or a pound and a half per week, which one drug. And again, to touch this point again, is there a time limit to some, to how long someone can be on one of these drugs? There's not. I mean, again, they can be used chronically. Mm-hmm. Uh, the quisemia, which is the oral medication, it, it does have a strong warning on, on female with childbearing age. Um, it can have uh, congenital malformations if somebody's pregnant and taking it. So that may be one uh, limiting factor. If if we use it in a childbearing age woman that wants to get pregnant, then we can only use it temporary, right? The other, the the injectables are not recommended in pregnancy, but it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, we wouldn't see uh, the malformations that we see with the cuisine. So I would say maybe, the age or uh, the thinking of pregnancy in female will be uh, a limiting factor, right? And lastly, what are your what are your thoughts on weight loss surgery compared to the medications that you've just spoken about? So you know, funny enough, the GLP ones were discovered after bariatric surgery. All the studies that were being after gastric bypass, I, I would add, it, it would, the surgery shows that because they remove that part of the gut, the, the stomach is closer to the distal part of the gut. And what they think is that there's some more release of the GLP-1. So the effects of the GLP-1s is pretty much what a patient with bariatric surgery experiences. The rapid fullness, the lack of appetite, uh, if they overeat, they can feel sick. So it's pretty much the effects of the GLP-1s are very much the effects of what the surgery does. Because of that, I personally have referred less for bariatric surgery because with the medications, patients can lose up to 60 to 80 pounds, of course, over a period over nine months to a year, right? But we are achieving that without the need of surgery. Now, if a patient has more than 100 pounds to lose, then I do consider, uh, then we do have the discussion about bariatric surgery. Now, every patient is different. Not everybody responds the same. There may be the non-responders to the medication, and those patients are good candidates for surgery. But I'm also seeing a lot of patients post-bariatric surgery that they've regained the weight and they do well with the medication, right? So as there's non-responders for the medication, there's non-responders for the surgery too. So I feel it's good to have both options, but I feel if there's less than 100 pounds of weight loss, we can try with the medications before surgery. Any closing thoughts that you want to share with um, anyone listening about weight loss, especially in this COVID pandemic? Uh, yeah, I think that something very important is to to mention that this is this this is a great example of what's happening right now of why we want people to have a healthy weight, right? Because they can be unprecedented things that we were not expecting, like the pandemia, and then it comes and shows us that people with obesity can develop higher uh, mortality of complications. This is what we want to prevent. We want people to understand that it's not just that if you have obesity and you don't have comorbidities at that time, there's still 
something happening, right? There's still ha something happening, even if you don't see a high sugar, even if your blood pressure is normal. There's a lot of people that say, I, I have, I'm overweight, I have obesity, but I'm healthy. But this, this pandemia has come to show us that they're not healthy. We know there's chronic inflammation happening, right? So I feel like this is, this is a great time to have this discussion and, and to see this is why it's important to maintain a normal weight, right? For, we don't have to wait for the comorbidities to happen. We know that there's some damage happening, even if you have not developed the comorbidities. I think that's very well said that um, obesity is a problem. And you touched on this, that you can still have a healthy personal image. You're it's a very tricky thing. And I, 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 I know to be very, that we have to be very political correct, right? But I feel if we're not able to have the conversation, how are we going to improve or help people, right? So I am all about pro-image and having a healthy image, but we have to separate obesity with the person because obesity is not a lifestyle problem, right? So it doesn't mean that the person has done something wrong or bad. It doesn't. It's it's separate from the person. They can have a positive self-image, but that doesn't mean that they have to accept the obesity. And it's a little bit more deep than probably what I'm saying, and people have to hear it a couple of times to understand it because it can be taken the wrong way. But it's about the health, right? It's about the quality of life. Very well said. And to, to reiterate, care really needs to be individualized. And that's why you see people on a one-on-one -on -one basis, because while there are all these generalized recommendations, it's really best to tailor the care and say the medications and the medical workup and take individual patient circumstances into effect. So thank you very much for taking the time. Um, we, in the podcast, we'll include all of our social media contacts and to reemphasize that Dr. Salas Whalen, she also sees people throughout the US or Europe or wherever you have an internet connection because you can see people via telemedicine. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a comment on the Get Healthy 360 Facebook page and consider subscribing to this podcast. Thanks.